to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. It's a sunshine day. Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me and the Brady Bunch on my mind. Is everybody smiling? Everybody laughing? Think you go for a walk outside now? How you guys doing? <laughs> doing great. Doing great. Yeah, I got my sunglasses on and my overalls. Overalls. I was thinking you were going to go with some kind of uh, G-string bikini type. Oh, uh, not that warm, yeah. We'll just load that up on the OnlyFans. (laughs) There we go. The Elden Nerds OnlyFans. Coming soon. (laughs) Gross. Don, how you doing, man? Good. Looking forward to talking about records by the the Silver Platters or the the Brady Six. Ooh, yes. There you go. (laughs) The deep cuts for those people that I forget sometimes that our generation watched the Brady Bunch reruns on TV, and oh, yeah. I very much doubt the current ones do. But uh, you never know. It's probably for their best. <sighs> Please, they could learn about family togetherness and unity. I feel like Full House is their Brady Bunch. That's true. Yeah, That's a really true. Good point. Good then I guess Uncle Jesse is Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's Marsha? Stephanie? Uh, Uncle, Uncle Jesse's wife? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever her name is. I don't know. <laughs> the one, the, the right. one that's in jail, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. This is this is veering. So <laughs> going off the rails. <laughs> Why don't we try getting back to what we're here for, which is talking about albums and answering questions and spinning the wheel of musical destiny at the end of the show to find out what kind of albums we'll talk about next time and hopefully not any Brady Bunch stuff. But this week, we are talking about singer-songwriters from the 1970s. That's what I'm talking about! In the 1970s, many singer-songwriters rose to prominence. Uh, for this episode, we, we defined a, a singer-songwriter as a solo artist who writes, composes, and performs uh, his or her own musical material. Uh, and these artists often accompany themselves on guitar or keyboards and are known for their songwriting skills uh, as much as their performance abilities. So today, we each present an album from a singer-songwriter that was released in the 1970s. So many choices, mm-hmm. more than I really thought about. Because at first, I, I thought in a very specific realm, you know, the yeah. handful of people with guitar or piano that you kind of get to know them because they're singing about their lives. But when you're talking about a decade... So much. Y- yeah, it, it's much broader than I thought. Although a lot of it, folk seems to be at the center mm-hmm of especially the stuff from the early 70s kind of carry over from the late 60s flower power type stuff so i listen to a lot of albums um what what kind of stuff are you guys checking out for this week uh there are a couple that fell into that sort of west coast folk movement in the late 60s and 70s uh david crosby's if only i can remember my name from 71 really enjoyed that record almost picked it kind of say i didn't but i was listening to me some- too Oh, Oh, people, you'll find out why. (laughs) Elton John and Leonard Cohen, too, also came in the mix with some pretty strong records from the early 70s. Yeah, there was so much, man. I think I probably listened to more for this show than I had in the last couple of months. So, how about you, Don? 
Yeah, you know, I was kind of all over the place. Um, I actually started uh, with with Jimmy Buffett, you know, because like growing up, I had his one compilation. I think it's called Songs You Know by Heart, uh, and that has like so many great songs on it. But I had, I've never like explored his studio albums, and I was, you know, I was underwhelmed by the albums, you know. So like, I, I listened to A One A and Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes. Those have like three or four great songs you know um like all-time great i would say uh but i don't know the, the rest of it you know it was like yeah you know you're just waiting for the the next hit to, to come around yeah like cheeseburger in paradise yeah. and then on the next album it's hot dog in paradise and the next album after that it's pizza in paradise so <laughs> we'll have to talk about jimmy buffett someday I think he's, uh, he's a little misunderstood <laughs> By the way, I am I am wearing my parrot head gear today, right? My, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's unwind relaxing right now, folks. <laughs> uh, I I started with uh, I really wanted to do Gordon Lightfoot. I love some of his songs, some incredible songwriting, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't connect fully with any of the albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unusual for me that I would probably lean greatest hits for Mr. Lightfoot, but that's how I feel right now. That's the good part about these 70s albums is they're short, so you, yes. can, you can bust through a bunch of them. But, I mean, I was listening to Christopher Cross, Barry Manilow, James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Blue. Uh, that's a good one. John Denver, Neil Diamond, <laughs> Stephen Bishop, Nick Drake. It goes on and on. Like I, I consumed so much music this week, uh, and what I came up with at the end was more of a reaction to what the other fellows came up with. But I listened to so many records that I think my mind's just kind of destroyed. So why don't we, uh, Buggle D Baldu, Beggity B. Yeah, yeah, stroke. Having a stroke. (laughs) (laughs) It's album time. You choo choo choose me. All right, well, uh, my singer-songwriter selection from the 70s is a record that came out in 1970 by an artist by the name of Linda Perhax. The album is entitled Parallelograms. We are going to play the title cut, Parallelograms. (laughs) That's beautiful. the band tool was really into ge- geometry as well didn't they have a song like parabola <laughs> yes <laughs> yes good call <laughs> yeah so this is one of the uh albums off the sesame street shapes collection i don't know if you guys <laughs> knew that <laughs> all right so to be serious linda this is her debut record from the singer songwriter from mill valley california uh kind of an interesting backstory here she was a dental hygienist in the Beverly Hills area with many famous clients, as you can imagine, would be living out there in the 60s and 70s. One of them is the composer Leonard Rosenman, who composed soundtracks for famous films such as like East of Eden, Rebel Without a Cause. He asked her like what she was doing like in her free time. She mentioned she was writing some songs. They got together. He loved what she was doing and put out this record. Didn't receive much acclaim back in 1970. Wasn't it on like a weird label? Yes, it was. A very small label. Didn't get much marketing or distribution. Yeah. Um, but more recently, in like 2000 or so, 
uh, was kind of rediscovered by some other label execs and was getting some buzz online. And uh, yeah, they reissued it a few times since then, and it's gotten a fair amount of praise from critics as of late. So my three words to describe this record are left the nitrous on. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, it's a folk record at its heart, but there's a pretty strong psychedelic tinge, I would say. Probably she's living on the West Coast in the 70s. I'm sure she was pretty influenced by that scene that was going on out there at the time. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It's a fairly abstract take on the folk genre, especially the uh, the A side, I would say, is leans more into the psychedelic side of that sound, but I thought it was really interesting and uh, worthy of uh, some deeper discussions. Yeah, so why don't we play one more cut? This is from the end of the record, a particularly tasty one called Delicious. I think that one is, you know, more of a, a straightforward uh, folk song. Although lyrically, I, I got a, a bit confused by it. You know, I mean, it sounds like she's got her fingers and um, like her toes in the sand and stuff like that, kind of enjoying nature. But then it sort of shifts into I don't know, kind of romantic or sexual or, or, or something. And I don't know if she was singing to God or a person. So uh, the three words I, I chose to describe the album, I cheated, it's four words. I, I said um, Judy Collins on peyote. Uh, <laughs> so similar to, to what you said. Uh, you know, with the, the nitrous. Uh, so it good. is, I mean, it's a, it's a female folk singer, but it's, you know, far more uh, abstract and psychedelic than, you know, anything like Joan Baez was, was doing, you know, it has beautiful moments. You know, I, I think her, her voice is, is really nice. And then a lot of trippy moments, like particularly in that song parallelogram. There's also like, um, kind of like a, uh, a Native American vibe, I, I think, in a lot of the, uh, a lot of the yeah. songs. Uh, and I think that celebration of, of nature that I, that I think the, you know, album is, uh, you know, fits that. You know, again, you know, you, you do this, uh, a lot for me, Andy. Uh, it's probably a, a record I, I wouldn't have found uh, without you. And, and I did, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never, never would have, never would have found this. That's why we do this show, guys. I mean, yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, the the story behind it and the story of her is really interesting. So, I, you know, I'm glad I, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I was uh, finally exposed to it. I mean, the only negative I, I would say is, even though it's it's not a long album, I think it's only like 42 minutes or something. Feels like it. It does play. A, it plays a little long, you know. So I, I think it. Maybe somewhere in the 30, 30 something minute range would would be better. But. I think yeah. it comes down to the majority of the songs have a very similar pacing. So even though the songs and the vocals sound different and the lyrics are clearly different, it does it gets drony even though it's short just because the song there's not a lot of variety. Yeah, I felt that way too, especially on the latter half of the record. I think it stays more in that slower, more calm folk space. But there are a couple of songs I would say on on the A side that change up the pace a little bit. Let me play one of them next here. This is a little bit of Paper Mountain Man. You've been called ahead, you've been called to bed, you've been called the damn, but we'll shake your head. Yeah, so Paper Mountain Man was the song that caught my attention the most because it was the most different from everything else. A little bit more Dusty Springfield Hmm. than Judy Collins. And by the way, Judy Collins is the send in the clowns lady in case anyone isn't sure who she is. (laughs) But yeah, so a little more attitude on this one. And it's a 
story of hyper masculine mountain man who just doesn't doesn't really have any real capacity for love. The three words that I used to describe it, if I could have fit them, I would have said, don't quit your day job, which wow. she didn't, so kudos, hats off. <laughs> oh, uh, oh. <laughs> life on the commune, because again, I got that folky sitting around a fire, yeah. singing about pine trees and stuff kind of kind of vibe from it. Pretty voice at, at times, Joni Mitchell-y, but it's an interesting listen, a, a nice nostalgia piece. Hard to really connect to, but the story is definitely cool. These comeback stories where someone got a chance to make a record and then never got famous, but then later in life, maybe when they can appreciate it more, they get a little taste of it. I think that's nice. So, I mean, I, I like the story of it. I like that this kind of stuff was happening and we're going to continue to learn about it because of Andy. Certainly not me and Don, the mainstream boys over here, but with Andy's help, we'll continue to discover these these little nuggets, sometimes gold, sometimes fool's gold, but always interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say this is 24 karat by any means, but I think it's a little interesting bit of, of history Then I'm really, makes me happy that She's getting some some crud and some notoriety for... Well, she's like 80 years old now, right? Yeah. Yeah, she's out there. Um, she put out a record in 2014 as the follow-up to this, uh, you know, uh, 44 years later. Her voice sounded very similar. I listened to a little bit of it out of curiosity, and she still, she still had the voice, at least in 2014. Yeah, she seems like a really interesting person. I watched a, f- a few interviews with her, and she's definitely a hippie at heart, which fits into this music, I think, well. You know, it's just a different time, man. She has a different approach to life than I think a lot of modern day music. So it's just nice to hear this, you know, getting some some praise nowadays. A little surprising, but also pretty cool. It's definitely an interesting listen. And I think uh, if you're not if you're a fan of the folk genre, especially from the seventies, I think uh, you probably find some stuff here that's to your liking. So once again, the artist is Linda Perhax. The album is Parallelogram. <laughs> Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. It is now time on the program when we ask ourselves a question. We're getting a little heady here today with these 70s singer-songwriters, you know, kind of, uh, what's the term? Kind of enjoying the smell of our own farts, being intellectuals. (laughs) That was the term you were going for? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. You're a fart smeller. I mean, a smart fella. (laughs) So, since we're since we're you know high minded music fans, what are your favorite literary authors? Get out my reading glasses here, and uh, the I I have no idea. I I don't read as much as I should. Um, but the last book I read, which was only a few months ago, was by Cormac McCarthy, guy who wrote A Country for Old Men, which you guys may have seen in movie form in the last yes. twenty years. He wrote a book called The Road which is probably one of the most bleak and depressing post-apocalyptic stories I've ever come across. So if you're looking for a good, like, wintertime, you know, maybe post-Valentine's Day, you want to get as close to suicide as possible, this, this the book will, wow. will get you there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, people are going to be rushing out for that. I'm sure the, the uh, Cormac is really thankful for your recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> it's well written, but, man, it is bleak. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they'll put that comment on on the back of the book now. You know, they always have reviews <laughs> and little <Hey>. quotes. <laughs> you need to kill yourself. Read this book first. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, you know, I also, I, I don't read as, as much as I, as I should. You're a teacher, man. I know. Uh, well, I have to read like textbooks and articles and stuff like Ooh. that, you know, so, so when I'm not reading like books about music or, or stuff like that, I, I do tend to gravitate to like the classics, you know, not really like modern stuff, you know, thanks to the influence of Morrissey, I, I got turned on to Oscar Wilde at, at some point, um, uh, you know, of course, English. <laughs> But also just very witty. So, you know, I really in, enjoy the picture of Dorian Gray and the importance of, of being earnest. I also, I had a phase um, a while ago where I got into like drug fiction. Um, and so I started reading like Kerouac um, and uh, Burroughs and, and people like that. I don't know why I always kind of just like books about, you know, being being high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> why could yeah. that be Wow, you're a couple of weirdos. I just like normal people yep. stuff, <laughs> like Stephen King. Yeah, Jane Austen. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've read Jane Austen. I've read a lot of books. I was an English major. I was working on my master's to be an English teacher. Did curricula and all that stuff. I've read hundreds of books, probably maybe thousands. I don't know, but oh, wow. uh, I don't do a lot of reading anymore with my eyes. I use my ears. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe is one of my favorites. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I love the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, detective fiction, noir fiction. Um, Get Shorty by Leonard uh, Elmore Leonard is one of my favorites. The Maltese Falcon and all those like classic noir books. The Big Sleep. Raymond Chandler. Love him. Classic science fiction. Isaac Asimov. Uh, Ray Brad Bradbury. Philip K. Dick. Uh, but yeah, the I've read all of the uh, Game of Thrones books, but now I listen to books, and I've listened to a lot of Stephen King books, some uh, autobiographies, but l recently I've been using Audible and listening to the Witcher series, which is uh, pretty cool, and uh, I enjoy the show as well. But yeah, so I, I, li I listen instead of read. What about y'all out there in album nerd land? Who's your favorite author? What are your favorite books? Do you use your eyes or do you use your ears? Let us know, albumnerds.com slash discord. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the singer-songwriters. <laughs> so classy. Okay, so my uh, pick uh, for a... Uh a 70s album from a singer-songwriter is Carol King's Tapestry, released in February 1971. This is the the second album from from Carol King, born Carol Joan Klein uh, in Manhattan uh, in 1942. King, uh, along with her ex-husband lyricist Jerry Goffin, were responsible for for writing a, a lot of popular hits uh, in the 1960s, including like The Locomotion, Take Good Care of My Baby, I'm Into Something Good. They did that uh, that monkey song, Pleasant Valley Sunday. But so yeah, this is her her second album, kind of you know recording her own stuff. Uh, let's listen to uh, a, a song called "So Far Away." I've always been drawn to, you know, kind of the, the sadness uh, of that song. Um, and it's not just in the in the lyrics, but it's in the, you know, the piano playing. You? Shocked. <laughs> so to get rid of the sadness, you go read some drug books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, to get over it. Okay. 
But yeah, you know, it's it's in her, the piano playing. It's in her voice. You know, I mean, she doesn't have like a traditionally beautiful voice, but she's a very competent singer. Uh, and I think she knows how to use her, her voice. Uh, and it's, you know, it just sounds very uh, vulnerable uh, at times. Uh, the three words I, I chose to d- describe the album were intimate yet accessible, right? So these are very accessible pop songs, but somehow there's still, you know, there's, there's an intimacy there. And, you know, even though these songs are you know, well-produced, you know, it's her uh, on a piano and then there's a, additional instruments kind of framing the song. Uh, but there, yeah, there's just something, something intimate about it and profound. Don, I think that, I, I think you're correct. I feel the same way, but I think that album cover tells you that before you even listen to the record, like the, just sitting by her window with her cat and the sun coming in and it just looks like a, a person that is going to share some something about herself and her feelings with you. It just, it feels intimate before you, before you even put the record on. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Well, let's, uh, let's do a, a, another cut here. It's too late. There'll be good times again for me and you, but we just can't stay together. Don't you feel it too? Still, I'm glad for what we now That's one of my favorites off the record. Of course, it's one of the few where, uh, Someone else wrote the lyrics, but she wrote the music. <laughs> um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So that song was co-written by Tony Stern. He did the lyrics, but it's basically the end of a relationship, but it's blameless. It's like, we're just not right for each other anymore. And it makes me think about that relationship that she, the partnership she had with her ex-husband, the songwriting partnership for 10 years, and how they continued that partnership even after the divorce. They, they worked together, but sometimes just, it's not right, you know, and and just the way it's worded, the way that she sings it is uh, just sells that so well. It feels so real, especially if you know a little bit of her background. Uh, the three words that I used to describe this album are everything on the table, because her first solo record was recordings of a lot of the songs she had written previously for other artists. There's a couple of those on here, but for the most part, this is really her revealing herself. Um, to the world and she does it in such a warm and inviting way where all these songs are just impossible not to feel like she's your friend uh, in- including you've got a friend of course which I <laughs> just has such an int- I want I wanted to get into that because it's just so interesting while she was recording James Taylor was recording his album and they he does some vocals on here and they crossed over but they both she wrote the song they both recorded it on their records that were being released around the same time and I just think that's so interesting and it's so smart too royalties (laughs) double duty she's getting it from hers and from his so uh, (laughs) nice work Carol yeah, so as you mentioned, um, you know, two of the songs uh, on the album had had already been hits for other artists. Uh, one of them was the the Shirelles, uh "Will You Love Me Tomorrow," uh, which was actually, I, I believe, the first number one song on the mainstream charts by uh, black female artists. And the, that I think the version uh, on this album is is, is fantastic. Uh, and then the the other one is "You Make Me Feel uh, Like a Natural Woman," which uh, Aretha Franklin had a, a big hit with in 1967. Uh, why don't we listen? To, to some of Carol King's version. She gives a Aretha a run for her money with that track. Man, I really love that song a lot. What a what a flex having that as a closer on your album. 
not sure it really fits in, as a last track. I saw that in your notes too, Don. I, I could totally agree. But what a great song. Yeah, I thought I thought Tapestry kind of seems like it should be the closer, just because I feel like Tapestry doesn't really fit lyrically with with the rest of the album. I, I feel like most of the most of the lyrics are are kind of literal, and that Tapestry song is a little more. I don't know, metaphorical or, or something, you know, feels like a, a fable. So I feel like that would have been uh, a good closer. I wonder if You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman would fit better had it not had its Aretha Franklin history. Like if, if we were hearing this for the first time as a part of this album from Carol King, maybe we'd have a different take on it. Because you're no matter how many times you've heard either version, whichever one I'm listening to, I'm also in my mind, the other one is playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Perhaps. Or perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. All right, my three words for this record are the warm and cozy king. Uh, I feel like warm is like this, the word we, keep, we all keep coming back to. And it's just such a inviting and intimate record. Uh, I totally agree about the the artwork there. It's like perfectly sets the stage for how this album sounds. I think this is an all-time great. I mean... Even outside of the seventies, I think it's just packed with so many freaking hits. And but yeah, it doesn't feel doesn't have that pop shine. It's it's a very intimate and personal record. And her voice, man, it's so soulful. There's so much emotion in it. I was gonna say this album is soulful, but it's not a soul record. I I mean, I think there's as much going on here from like an R and B soul perspective as there is from like a pop perspective, just because of her her how she is like just you could feel so much in these songs uh even though they're catchy and there's you know a lightness to the whole thing it hits me in a deep emotional level that i don't often get in pop music my only complaint and i gotta have some sort of something to of course critique here, but <laughs> at times i think it's mixed a little bit strangely at least in the version i was listening to some of the instrumentation gets pushed back too far in my opinion but man this, this is a five-star record in my opinion absolutely love it I got a copy of this. I got two copies of this in my collection, actually. My uncle gave me his whole collection who grew up in the 60s and 70s and was big into the singer-songwriter genre and been lucky enough to uh, to have it in my uh, in my personal collection since then. So it's such a, such a good listen. And I mean, every track is just top-notch in my opinion. All right. Well, you guys seem to like it. So uh, I'm going to uh, nominate this for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. I mean, when 70s singer-songwriters, you know, when that came up on the wheel, I, I think Dude immediately mentioned Carol King, and it, it was like one of the first things I th- I thought of. So, yeah, I mean, this is like the epitome of, of, of great songwriting. Donnie Lakey. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, she's the first person that came to mind. I think she defines especially the the female singer-songwriter. Her pedigree of 10 years of writing hits for other people prepared her to write some of the most perfect pop songs ever written so thumbs up yes yeah and a big thumbs up for me too i I, like i was saying i think this is one of the definitive records of the era i mean i think jody mitchell's blue maybe would be up there you know right with us but i think it's as good so definitely a shoe in to dane house for me all right well congratulations to carol king with the album tapestry this is friendship pure unadulterated friendship 
Are you a music fan? Join the discussion on the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord. Tell us what you like, what you dislike, and suggest topics for the Wheel of Musical Destiny. There's something really important that I've been meaning to ask you. Last I checked, you're not 57 years old. So, come on, why is it always, always <laughs> Billy Joel? I'm 57 on the inside. That's from the boys for those that watch that show. Anyway, Billy Joel... I wanted to show a different side of singer-songwriters from a different part of the decade. It definitely got a little darker, definitely got a little more cynical. So why don't we uh, check out Billy Joel's The Stranger from September of 1977 with a little bit of scenes from an Italian restaurant. A bottle of whites It all depends upon your appetite so I think a lot of people have heard that particular one, not released as a single, however, pretty famous, pretty, I don't know, it's pretty, how do I say this, what's the word? It's about smelling your own farts, maybe? Smelling some gravy, smelling some delicious tomato sauce. Now, it's it's a very ambitious song, and it's three distinct pieces. You have the Italian restaurant portion, and the... Dixieland jazz portion, a piano solo comes in between, and then that story of uh, Brenda and Eddie about their relationship starting and and then eventually as time goes on falling apart, you know, um, and then transitioning back to the Italian restaurant where, you know, you go back to the place where you once had magic together and anytime we, we can still be in each other's lives. So sort of that, that same kind of vibe, but in a very long form, um, seven minute or so song. William Martin Joel. He started playing piano at age four. At 14, he got into the British Invasion and Soul Music and then was in a couple of bands. Eventually, started just being like a piano bar player. And that's kind of what led to who he became as an artist. The three words I used to describe the stranger, sing us a song. Because he's the piano man, right? That's what he does. He tells us little stories uh, in and around New York City. And it's kind of dark, it's kind of rainy, it kind of feels a little bit like some of those Sinatra records from the 60s with that Alone in New York nightlife thing. This album was probably his biggest up to this point. It was about to be dumped by his record label. But uh, one of the songs that uh, I think drove his popularity was this unusually up-tempo song for Billy. It's called Only the Good Die Young. Yeah, I really enjoy that song, surprisingly. <laughs> it's probably my favorite of his. Definitely on this record. <laughs> my three words for The Stranger are Billy's Boomer Blues. There's good stuff here, for sure. I, I think he has mm-hmm. he has some moments of lyrical brilliance. There's some great melodies here. I think that song in particular. Moving Out. You know, I dug into the lyrics of Moving Out. I kind of like I kind of like his message there. I I was surprised by that sort of counterculture look at the American dream. I wasn't expecting from a guy like Billy Joel, uh, who I think it was being like very American Pie sort of kind of guy. I I think a lot of it was probably because years of failing in the music industry and signing bad deals and stuff. I think probably everyone in his life was like, go get a job, go be a banker, go do something, and he rejected the chasing the money he's chasing the music right right he's not interested in working that hard for a little bit of money he wants the bigger the bigger dream he wants to be a big shot yeah 
<laughs> I, think it's, I think that's cool. I like that. <laughs> There's some small two tracks on here that are just not my speed uh, for sure. I'll just leave that. Yeah, I mean, I just, if if what's considered his finest artistic album still isn't good enough for you, Andy, <laughs> then I, clearly there's nothing Mr. Joel can do. Well, you know, all right, hold on. He seems like a little bit of a douchebag to me, is my general impression of Billy Joel. <laughs> He's always a douchebag to me. <laughs> like, okay, let's talk about She's Always a Woman. I just feel like all his compliments are kind of backhanded. Like he's not really ever, I don't feel like he's ever really being nice. I feel like he's always just a little bit of a jerk. And maybe that's not a bad thing uh, for music, but I wouldn't want to hang out with him, I guess, is my, my impression after reading all of his lyrics. I think I liked him as a kid because I thought he looked like Rocky Balboa. Uh, but the I think he's got a New York City attitude. Yeah. Uh, late 70s, the country was in, you know, the records we talked about before, the early 70s, this is still coming off that flower power high. And then in the late 70s, in the cities in particular, you know, there was economic issues, a lot of filth, bitterness over, yeah, bitterness over. <laughs> Vietnam and and the presidents and everything that was going on, a lot of upheaval. And I think he's a reflection of the struggling musician uh, playing in piano bars in in the late 70s. And I think that's part of that kind of, you know, giving you the finger a little bit (laughs) in his songs. I guess so. But he's like a fairly, he's like a middle class, white, you know, has a family, like, you think about this compared to like Bruce Springsteen, where he's like talking about like the working man and you know pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, and then you get to Billy Joel. I just don't, I don't feel that grit and that that realness in these songs that I get from similar singer songwriters. I'm going further down this this road than I intended to. Joel bashing? Yeah, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I think it's a, a pretty good record overall. Wow. Oh, wow. God, gross! Wow, that was a. <laughs> You could have just said that and we could have moved on. <laughs> Why don't we listen to a little bit of She's Always a Woman? She takes care of herself. She can wait if she wants. She's ahead of her. All right, Don. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to hear what you have to say about this man. Been silent so far. Wow us. Well, um, I, I've always been a, a fan of of this song. I guess I always, you know, kind of it, his ballads, you know, have draw me in. Um, this one I like because uh, again, it's uh, not in four four time. Uh, supposedly in in six eight time. Uh, I don't actually know how to count six eight time. But uh, so this is a, a song that's uh, you know uh, supposedly inspired by his his wife at the time, uh, Elizabeth Weber, uh, who also served as his manager. Um, so I think you know the stuff about her being tough and not giving in sort of reflects her vibe as a as, as a manager supposedly he was trying to capture the gordon lightfoot uh, approach he was trying to replicate folk guitar finger picking uh with with the piano um so he's using uh you know supposedly ar- arpeggios i only kind of know what those are uh you know with his his right hand yeah i do i do all my arpeggios with the left hand i call it the stranger <sighs> wow well done. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I, I think that's a, you know that's a, a, a really strong composition. The three words I, I chose to describe the the album are uh, "every man poet" because I've always seen you know Billy Joel is is 
you know, just kind of being like a, an ordinary dude, not necessarily, you know, somebody who's like down on his luck or, or really struggling, but just somebody that's, uh, you know, capturing the, I don't know, the, the state of, uh, of, of every man. I've had a, you know, weird relationship with Billy Joel throughout my life. Of course, in the early days of MTV, he was on there. I remember liking the video for like Pressure and Allentown, but he always seemed like old to me. You know, even though he was probably like 30 at the time, it seemed kind of like old man music. He looked like a, Mm -hmm. like a study hall monitor or or something, you know, just an ordinary looking dude. You know, when I was, you know, at at the same time, you've got, you know, young people that look like Simon Lebon or, uh, um, you know, Joe Elliott or whatever. It was just, yeah, it just seemed like kind of unhip music. Like the friends I had whose parents kind of like closely monitored what they were listening to, they were allowed to have, you know, Billy Joel cassettes. (laughs) Um, So so I guess I always kind of look down. Yeah, uh, I always kind of look down on his his music. But then, you know, I I grew to appreciate it, Uh, you know, particularly probably like the first time I ever heard Piano Man. I was like, wow, this is, you know, really, really something. And and since then, I've, you know, really, you know, grown to appreciate him and his uh, songwriting uh, abilities. You know, I mean, he's really, yeah, just a, you know, a special talent. That's, I think, what, Don, you're talking about that every man, like just regular guy issues. He sings about the music he used to love as a kid. He sings about feeling like a fraud you know i think it i think that's what has drawn me to him and when i was a a a young kid i had older cousins like billy joel was cool edgy stuff in the late 70s and early 80s especially before that break into the 1980s with an innocent man and stuff when i think andy comes along and it's just this corny guy doing reagan 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 and fire 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 like okay this guy sucks i get it andy I think uh, maybe you just you you didn't know any anyone that you thought was cool that thought Billy was cool and I did. <laughs> so. I think this is Billy Joel at his best. You know, I do like this dirty late seventies vibe. You know, there's a darkness to it, and I think you know after that because he would evolve as an artist. You know, he's doing different things. So that Nylon Curtain album was was a bit more, I guess, kind of progressive or even yeah. kind of new wavy. And then the Innocent Man one was like meant to be kind of a celebration of. Music music he listened to growing up with like doo-wop and soul and stuff like that i do think like this version of of billy joel is the is the best billy joel i just cannot how do you call this album gritty like what nothing about this says 70s new york city to me besides the italian restaurant i guess that 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 track maybe does feel like that but yeah anthony working at the the restaurant or the grocery store or whatever yeah it was about regular guy struggles and that's what felt gritty compared to maybe the other things that were being played on the radio at the time and that song the stranger you know that's that feels like a almost like a schizophrenic guy kind of wandering around the the streets of new york i don't know (laughs) um challenges challenges well if you want a real challenge here comes i'm nominating this (laughs) for the album nerds hall of fame it's not perfect but i love it so uh, obviously please Yes, and Andy's going to say no, but Don will say yes first. Right, Don? He's calling it. I'll, I'll vote yes. You know, I, I think, you know, Billy Joel is a, is an all-time great, and I, I think this is probably his, his best album. I would agree. This is probably his most enjoyable record of his that I've listened to. <laughs> that's, yeah, but to you, that's like rating the Ernest movies. <laughs> Ernest Goes to Camp is the best <laughs> Ernest movie. <laughs> I must prefer it goes to jail, but... Uh, <laughs> No, I just, I'm not a fan. And I, I guess it's hard for me to say I don't see any value in his music. I just don't appreciate the way you guys do. So I'm going to say no. But I think the audience 
can uh, can get this in, obviously. So go to eldernerds.com slash discord. We'll put it up on our website as well. And you can cast your votes to uh, get the Piano Man into the Hall of Fame. So it's time to talk about what we learned. It's a broad palette. That's kind of what we talked about at the top. The hippie dream compared to maybe uh, the loss of some hope in the late 70s. So there's uh, there's a really broad array of, of what the singer-songwriters were doing during this period. Uh, and, and I also learned that if given the chance, Andy would kick Billy Joel <laughs> right in the pills. <laughs> What'd you guys learn? Yeah, I probably would. I probably would. Give him the opportunity. <laughs> if there were any, any dire consequences. Yeah, I mean, the 70s, man, just such a great time for art, in my opinion. It was the warmth and the authenticity in this decade of music, I think, is unparalleled in my listening experience. And I could just have to do with the recording equipment and the mediums it was put on. But I think people, you know, they're coming out of the 60s. It just feels like a good time. I know there's a lot of issues going on economically and whatnot, but it just feels like a good time to be alive, especially in the U.S. And I'm glad we got to, uh, you know, hear a good smattering of, of uh, albums from that period. Some great stuff. Yeah, we definitely had some some interesting picks. Uh, you know, and we also, you know, neglected, um, you know, I mean, there's artists like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye, you know, who are, are who are technically uh, uh, singer songwriters. Of course, we've done you know their their albums you know fairly recently, you know, so it, it makes sense that we avoided that. But yeah, I mean, you know, it just is uh, just a great era, a great era for music and, and so much going on. Also, like the seeds of hip hop are, are being planted. Did you guys see that documentary yet? Um, there's like a documentary on PBS now about the the evolution of of hip hop. You guys should check it out. Oh yeah, is it tied back to Billy Joel somehow? Yeah, they they all cite him as a huge influence. Good to <laughs> yeah, he was the the very first MC, <laughs> piano man, and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls, children of all ages, gather round while the Wadbot tells us a story about our future. Let's. Give her a spin. Your musical destiny will allow you to celebrate the contributions of women to the world of music. Some might call it girl power. Fortunately, I would not. Instead, go and explore the albums of women who rock. Women who rock. All right. Lita Ford. Well, I mean, I consider that any successful female artist, I don't think they have to be a uh, metalhead or rock and roll per se. I mean, I, I think it could be a soul singer too, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. All right, don't forget, we have an ongoing vote. Need to get Billy Joel and The Stranger into the Hall of Fame if you think it's worthy. Some people might not. Some people might. <laughs> Some people have hearts and souls, Andy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some people got it crushed by that album. Go to <laughs> albumnerds.com slash discord to cast your vote. You can also do so from our website, albumnerds.com. Let's, uh, let's rock the vote. Okay, what do you think of The the Stranger? What women rock? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on discord at albumnerds.com slash discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at albumnerds. 
And please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. We'll catch you next time with those women that rock. Thanks for listening. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. That's all I, I don't know the next one. I just know the one about Star Trek from TV. We didn't start the series. It's the next generation on your favorite station. <laughs> I read like eighth grade uh, social studies class. We went through the lyrics of it. You know, oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. cool. That was impressive, guys.